Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. When film director, poet, and playwright Kathleen Collins passed away in 1988, her work had yet to fully receive its due. Following the efforts of her daughter, Nina Lores Collins, her 1982 film Losing Ground, one of the first feature films directed by a black American woman, received a theatrical release in 2015 and is presently streaming for free on the Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archive's website through July 6th. Her books, Whatever Happened to Interracial Love and Notes from a Black Woman's Diary, were published in the past five years, and her collection of four one-act plays, entitled Begin the Begin, is being performed by Oakland Theatre Project via live stream and drive-in through tomorrow, July 3rd, and it's also available um, on demand on their website. We'll talk with Oakland Theatre Project directors Michael Socrates Moran and Don Troop, who uh, also stars in each of the four plays. Welcome to the show, Don and Michael. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. Um, so, Don, tell us about the nature of this work that you've been putting on. It's sort of linked one acts. They are four uh, separate short plays that are linked in um, in terms of how they flow into one another, but they are separate pieces and. Um, all marvelous walks in the world of Kathleen Collins' words, philosophies, and uh, world. And you play the lead character in each one of them. How did you sort of decide to uh, act slightly differently? What were sort of the small acting things that you wanted to signal these were all different characters? Oh, they are very distinctly different characters on a, and, and in a distinct, um, distinctly female experience in America, and particularly a Black female experience in America. Um, Kathleen refers to the truly living and walking, and I'm paraphrasing for her, but uh, truly walking and being in the feminine, you, you enter a shimmering of sorts. And that, to me, um, allows and speaks to uh, us being able to walk in our full capacity. Mm-hmm. as a human being who happens to be a woman. Yeah. Let's play a cut. It's from the first one act, and I believe it's the show opener. Excuse for an altar. I've never made one before. And I don't have much spiritual imagination, it seems. Besides, there's no room for it on a dresser cluttered with Joe's and my things. It's a mess, a shared mess. And because I share it, I have no right to make an altar meant for God and me alone, and particularly since I have no desire to justify the need for such an altar. And Joe, 
patient as he is with a wife who stumbles through wifeliness, maternity, domesticity like a feeble onlooker, might draw the line at spiritual replenishment. Ah, oh, this such a it's such a beautiful one act. This kind of yo-yoing in between the sort of quotidian details of the socks and sort of the transcendence and desire for for God and something larger. How did how do you think about this uh, about this one act? Don, Touch it yeah, go ahead, Don. Um, I, I'm in love with I'm in love with it. I, I'm simply uh, enamored by Kathleen. I'm a fan. I am. Uh, desperately seeking her now <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I've fallen into uh, her world and I'm vigorously trying to uncover more. I'm not done with her and she's asking so much of you in each piece that, um, that that's a delightful uh, un- uncovering and uh, I feel like an architect as I, as I venture through these worlds. There's so much to discover uh, not just about Kathleen, but truly about how we walk through the world and what we are willing to excavate within ourselves. Yeah. We're talking about the Oakland Theater Project's Begin the Begin and the recently revisited work of writer, director, and playwright Kathleen Collins with Don Troop, education director at the Oakland Theater Project and co-director and star of Begin the Begin, and Michael Moran, executive and co-artistic director of the Oakland Theater Project, and co-director of the same quartet of One X. What does Kathleen Collins' work mean to you? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll be back with more about Kathleen Collins after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Oakland Theater Project's Begin the Begin and the work of writer, director, and playwright Kathleen Collins with Don Troop, education director at Oakland Theater Project and co-director and star of Begin the Begin, and Michael Moran, executive and co-artistic director of Oakland Theater Project. Um, Michael, I want to ask you about doing theater in a pandemic. How did you approach putting something like this on, given all the various restrictions to maintain our health? Oh my gosh, very stressfully. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, when we were planning the season, we were trying to think about what way we could serve our community and what way we could produce theater. And um, our Associate Artistic Director, Lisa Ramirez, mentioned the drive-in model. And that sounded very exciting. And so we started to explore what that would look like and then what kind of plays 
we might be able to render successfully in the drive-in theater model. And so that's kind of how we announced the season. And we're actually, uh, Begin the Begins, our third show already this year. And then we're, we're currently in rehearsals for our fourth one. Um, so, I mean, that's, it, it's been a wonderful kind of treat to kind of come in your car, turn on your radio, hear these actors' voices piped in through your car radio and see them through their windshield live. So slightly different than it would be in a theater, but, but hopefully just as satisfying. Yeah, you know, there's there's that sort of crackling energy of being in the crowd of, of a theater with people on stage. Does that still come across with people in their cars or does it feel like something else? Yeah, I think it definitely comes across. And there's this sort of added sensation of being alone while being together because you're in your car alone. So people can eat and they can talk to their partner, whoever's in the car with them about what's going on. But I think the most important part of, of the theater, I, I often like to say it's not theater unless the audience is there. That's it, That's the missing ingredient. That's the part that makes the theater is the audience has to be there. And that that sense of presence, that sense of liveness is still very much there. And, and that sense of congregation is still very much there. It's all experiencing something together in a communal way. So, I mean, then that's, you know, when we're thinking about trying to do theater and even what theater has, what, what theater means in a pandemic, that sense of coming together for to celebrate life's renewal seemed very important and if we could offer that in some small way. And so that we hope, you know, I think that still comes through in a drive-in model. Yeah. We want to hear from listeners too. What pandemic era theater adaptations would you like to see stick around? And what are you looking forward to now that theaters are reopening? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about, you know, in this sort of parking lot setting, um, there are, you know, it's not just monologues. Um, there's also, you know, a lot of sort of complex interplay um, between actors and, and movement. Um, and can you just talk about, uh, Don Troop, um, what that was like to try and sort of make sure that people in all these different angles in these cards could actually see the action in, in some way? Um, so it, it's not very different than what we do inside. Um, it would be equivalent to a three-quarter thrust stage. Uh, and yet um, there is this real um, visceral uh, re-emergence into the world again from a, a, a pandemic mm-hmm. and, and being with people again and, and just trusting your instincts and not having a script in front of you because for the past year we've been online and been able to cheat. So the muscle memory has had to be restored and recovered. <laughs> so there, there's been, uh, it, it's, it's quite an, um, you know, it's a wonderful exploration in uh, rediscovering what the tools are, as well as uh, combating some of the things that you, you experienced as a new actor. It feels new again, in a way, um, mm-hmm. because you have to learn to trust again in this world that is a little bit dangerous. Yeah. Well, and you in particular have just some incredibly long monologues carrying, carrying <laughs> a lot of weight there with your memory. I, that it, My literal nightmare would be doing that. Um, I, I want to I play uh, another cut from the show. It's, uh, it's from the, the second one act, 
two women in a in a waiting room. Don, what else do you want to say about sort of setting up um, the relationship between these two women? Uh, to set this up, yeah. uh, and Michael, actually, I would I would ask you as well. I would ask Michael sure. the same question, but I would say, uh, what is really said between two women in in an enclosed space? Mm. What do we really experience? And um, those things that are said, uh, how do they uh, actually describe the person that they are being spoken to, or how how do they really represent the person speaking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and Michael, yeah, I mean the, these four one acts mirror each other, and so there's a this is the second one you're about to hear. The fourth one is actually called the healing, but in both of these characters are seeking healing, and in this one, the second one, the question to me in many ways is what is the healing? They're, they're going to try and uh, see a psychic, but the healing might actually happen between these two women in a certain way versus what's on the other side of the curtain. Mm-hmm. All right, let's hear. What's that supposed to mean? It's you who's wounded in the flesh. You tell me. What in God's name gives you leeway to keep mocking me at this? I don't see you! Exist for me! The memory is white. It provokes certain things. I'm going in. It doesn't matter what you think. Oh, man. Uh, Don, um... I'm just, you know, curious to hear, when I was watching this, I was struck by how sort of contemporary it felt. <laughs> like, it felt like it was sort of a foreshadowing of so many of the things that we're, we're talking about now. Yeah, uh, frighteningly so, right? Um, <laughs> Kathleen actually has a, a speech, a speech she gave at um, Morehouse uh, back in the, the 80s late Mm -hmm. 80s where she actually says something about her her words having relevance in the future and it's like she's all of a sudden on on the starship enterprise and teleporting her thoughts forward it's really um it is presently what we're still dealing with It, it it speaks to um it completely speaks to uh the unraveling of believing something that cannot hold its weight, believing a great lie. Um, Our history tells us that there are things that we have not dealt with. And Kathleen brings those pieces forward and they will continue to go forward if we do not really deal with um, our past, our truths and um, how historic events affect every, every part of our society. Yeah. One of the things that's that's brilliant um, in this uh, set of one acts, you know, there's a, a a lot of interaction, like in the scene that we heard, you know, that was a conversation between a black woman and a white woman. And there's a, a lot of things about their bodies and healing and, and whiteness and, and blackness. A lot of the conversation about microaggressions and macroaggressions, you know, within within this world and, and between, you know, um, racial groups. But there's also this incredible insistence on the sort of interiority of, in particular, the black characters in these one acts. Um, yeah. How did you how did you think about that, Don? Um, I, I feel that we're in a better place today than we were when Kathleen Collins wrote these pieces, but only slightly better. Um, in that we no longer um, only see this trope of a black woman on screen or in on on stage, 
we get to see other levels, but there's so much more, as I, as I said earlier, mentioned um, excavation, uh, a black woman is a human being. And when, when we walk in a space and being a black woman, particularly in America, uh, you are first a black woman. And so whatever one's experience with a black woman has been or, or lack of experience, um, it then becomes this um, caricature that's in front of you instead of a human being. And so you get to ascribe whatever your lack of experience or experience is onto that black woman. And, and a lived experience is one that allows you to experience, like I said, your full capacity to hear the inner voices, the inner struggles, the inner beauty, the inner joy, the inner sadness, and this woman get to relish in all of it. It's, it's, a, it's a complete orchestration of beautiful music for me. And I feel my soul just resonating in, in each piece. I love, I love her. <laughs> How do you think embodying these Kathleen Collins characters changed you? Oh, uh, she... Um, she asks you to sit in your brokenness and um, be able to still access joy. Um, she's she's um, how it, it's affected me coming out of the pandemic. It's it's been challenging and uh, unnecessary addition to my walk on this this earth. I really feel that we are gifted and, and uh, I'm so grateful to my family at OTP Open Theater Project and Michael uh, and John Wilkins for bringing this piece to us. Um, there is, there's something that for me, I, I tend to be gifted with every character, <laughs> something that I need. And uh, I feel like there's so much that I need. As I said, I'm not done discovering her. Mm-hmm. We even have a little altar for Kathleen uh, Surrett Scott. And I had this conversation and Surrett was speaking to Kathleen after she lost her. And I said, I need to hear from her too. <laughs> I, I long to hear from her more so than just the words that I'm, I get to say, but to experience her completely. And uh, it really feels like paying it's honoring her to welcome her into the space you know um i want to talk with you a little bit about um kathleen collins other work um losing ground and um just what you took from watching these performances you know one of the one of the first uh feature films that uh black woman was able to make given all of the structural racism of the film industry did that have uh, a lot of influence on the way that you staged this uh, work and either one of you can um, take that one yeah I think it did and it and it didn't I mean it, it's always a, a funny uh, question around looking at other work you sort of in my opinion you research for inspiration <laughs> which is a funny way of researching um, so really what I think informed us the most was Kathleen the person and how who she is is in her work so deeply and so profoundly, both in losing ground and her and her stories and um, the, the the book that we that we got these plays from notes from a black woman's diary. I mean, 
um, there, she has this, she says this thing about uh, her, her wanting to honor her own obsessions, that that's maybe most important to her as an artist. And there's something about that that I think is quite profound. Um, and so th I think that's kind of where we tried to tease out where we could find our way into, into the piece uh, in Oakland in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to ask you about, you know, making theater right now in in Oakland, in this Bay Area, um, with obviously a multiracial company. Um, I'm not even sure what the question is. That just seems like a really <laughs> complex, uh, that just seems like a really complex situation right now. Yeah, it's a wonderfully complex situation. And, and it's the mission of our organization and the work. And, 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 you know, we think that theater has a place to play in building a team, building a family across difference in a way that might be unique in America. I mean, I like to call theater a wonderful crisis because you are in it together. And um, in that, you can actually bond uh, in, in a number of ways. And, and something Don was saying earlier, two, two phrases come to mind that we always kind of talk about with the theater. And one is I think that theater always offers the recognition of the other. And in recognizing the other, that what is othered can kind of dissipate. And I think Kathleen puts that forward because it it offers that recognition through the eyes of, of, of a black woman in America. And the other one is joyful participation in our sorrows. And that's something that Don was just saying also. And I, I think particularly coming out of this pandemic, the, the bizarre thing is we, we often choose plays that seem very heavy, but we have so much joy <laughs> putting them on. Um, and, and that joy is contagious and, and allows for bridging divides. I mean, I, I, it is, Quite extraordinary, I think, the makeup of our organization and not just who's there, but the care that everyone has for each other and the shared ethos that's a part of it. So it, it's very complicated, um, but, you know, the, the, it's a cliche, I guess, but there's something about values of kindness and love that kind of win out and allow that ability to see one another as fully human in the form of theater, which is about seeing each other as fully human. Mm -hmm. Right. And just piggybacking off of what Michael is saying, there is a, uh, you are not allowed to be invisible in, in this company. Michael really is a, a stickler about making sure everyone is seen. You are not ever silenced. Um, and, and he will actually call you out if you are a little too silent, which I love. So it feels like um, in, a, in a place in America where you can be quite invisible, uh, this theater company in particular is seeking those who wish to have their voices heard as well as be seen to fight, um, to create and craft beautiful works out of love, kindness, generosity, and uh, sacredness. Yeah. A listener writes, I'll forever be mad that Losing Ground, Kathleen Collins' feature-length film, never seems to get the props it's due, one of the best movies ever made. Um, I want to ask you, uh, Michael, about the next show that you have coming up, or I guess, Don, you're directing it, The Dream Life of Malcolm X. Um, I, I, and I want to think about, in particular, the sort of transition between these two, uh, you know, Kathleen Collins and, and her black women, and then The Dream Life of Malcolm X and sort of the, just this icon of a, of a figure. Um, how, do you, how do you see the relationship between these two um, plays? 
uh, the the first thing that comes to mind is the necessity for healing. Uh, that we need to avidly and uh, in a, with a vengeance seek out healing. Understand and listen to uh, the voices of our past again. Mm-hmm. This yeah, and I would I would add maybe uh, how we imagine ourselves as Americans, and I think both of them are speaking to, you know, the the, the line you actually heard that the memory is white. Um, I don't I you know I don't see you. There's a line drawn between us in the clip we just played. I mean, it, these are from very different perspectives and very different times and very different people. But there is something I think happening in America right now around our consciousness of who are we, who, who we are, and both of them uh, speak to that quite directly. Um, and in, in our production of The Dream Life of Malcolm X, it is really about his ideas as a philosopher, um, sort of coining the, the idea of systemic racism and, and how it trickles through everything that happens and, and how we are to try and uh, purge ourselves and, and, and heal ourselves of it. And so I, I think both of them speak to that in, in very different ways, but but hopefully um, have an exciting conversation with each other. Yeah. We've been talking with the Oakland Theatre Project's uh, co-directors of Begin the Begin, a quartet of one acts. Begin the Begin is being performed by their company via live stream and drive-in through July 3rd, and their next show coming up is The Dream Life of Malcolm X. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour with Marisa Lagos. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.